June the 20th, 2008. My dear son, Jake, you're only a few years away from being a man. Because of that, I want to take a moment to write down how much I love you, how proud I am of you, and I want to let you know how thankful I am that God gave you to me to be my son. I will never forget the day you were born. It was a really hard labor. It took your mom 18 hours to give birth to you. And when you finally got here, honestly, you looked really beat up. But it didn't take long that you became very handsome like your father. In all seriousness, I couldn't be more proud to be your dad. Son, you're turning 13 soon. And if you will walk with me, I will walk with you through your teenage years. I promise to do four things. Number one, I will prepare you for the battles of life you're going to face. There will be many. Number two, I will prepare you to love the woman that you will one day marry. Number three, I will prepare you to one day be a godly father so that you can raise a godly family. And number four, I will help you discover God's plan and calling on your life. Son, I'm giving you this sword today. I have it engraved with the definition of a real man to commemorate the day you were called into manhood. It's a reminder that every man was born to battle and every man is called to be a warrior. A real man rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously and expects the greater reward, God's reward. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Jake, pick up your sword. Come join me in battle and let's play the man. I love you. Dad. Don't blink, it goes faster than you think. That little boy is now married. He's 22 years old. And that's why we're talking about what I think is one of the most crucial things we could talk about today on Father's Day. What does God say about fatherhood? In this little series, we've entitled 250 to 3. Now, why do we call it 250 to 3? You remember last time that these little gumballs represent the hours you have in a month with your children. Now, of course, you can't even access these. Your children sleep eight hours a day. They're in school eight hours a day. You've lost these already. That leaves you with about 250 hours a month to leverage with your children. Now, a lot of us think, well, I have all kinds of time. And when I was a young dad, I'd hear, you know, uh, older mothers and fathers going, oh, don't blink. It goes faster than you think. And, you know, silently I would go, yeah, right, whatever. And, you know, really wouldn't pay attention. Now, I'm that guy saying, don't blink. It goes faster than you think. The days seem to drag by, but I'm telling you, while the days drag by, the weeks, the months, the years, they fly by. 250 hours is approximately what you have a month in the life of your children. Now these three little gumballs left, they represent the time your church has to invest in the life of your children. Here's the observation we've made. One, two, three is not 250. You see, you can do what the church cannot do. 
and there's no children's pastor alive that can do in the life of a child what one parent is capable of doing. And that's why we're launching a brand new family ministry at Abundant Life this August 2018. I'm so excited about what we're doing. Malachi chapter 4 today, if you'd open your Bible to the very last chapter of the very last book of the Old Testament. As we pray for revival, listen, we're praying for an awakening, a Holy Spirit move of God upon our country, upon our city, and yes, our church family. And God gives the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, a sign of what that will look like. When revival comes and the Spirit of God begins to revive the people of God, he gives them a sign of what to look for. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, he says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's the coming of the Messiah. And when the Christ would come, there was going to be a movement of the Spirit of God, even as he came as the Son of God. And look what it says next. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, God is telling us what revival looks like. I mean, if we ever see the move of God that we're praying for and that we're asking for, and I know about you, when you think of the word revival, I was raised in church. So, you know, when my church had a yearly revival, I was not usually that excited about the yearly revival because what it meant was we were going to get a guest preacher and we were going have church Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and to me that just did not sound like a great idea. I mean, once a week was enough for little old me, right? I want you to understand, once in a while we'd get a tent, we'd have an outside revival, and there'd be a tent service, and you know, I'm just telling you, none of that is really what revival looks like, all right? Revival is when the Spirit of God breathes new life on something that has died. Revival is when the Spirit of God begins to move on people's life in a way that's unexplainable, in a way that, quite frankly, is supernatural, and lives are just radically transformed. And you see, what God is describing here is another way revival manifests itself is in the heart of families and fathers and children. When all of a sudden, the Spirit of God gets hold of the heart of men of God, and when the Spirit of God gets hold of the heart of the men of God, all of a sudden, the children get a hold of that man's heart too. And that's why we're praying for a revival, because do you realize that family is the fabric of society? And did you know that what God says is that daddy is destiny for that family? So much of the time, with some exceptions, as the father goes, so goes the family. And that's why God says, if there's no revival in the heart of these men and these fathers, there's going to be a curse that will come upon this land. And I'm suggesting to you today that our nation is under some curse much more than some type of revival. You see, we live in a nation where 40% of American children grow up without a father. God would say that's a curse on our generation. It's a curse on our nation. Now listen, this is what God says, but did you know that secular scientists, social scientists, did you know they all say the same thing, that every social problem we face as a nation can be traced back to the fatherless family and the breakdown of the family. Did you know that social scientists proven that children being raised without a father has an exponentially higher probability of being raised in poverty. Did you know the social scientists all say exactly what God has said, that children being raised without a father has been ex exponentially higher probability of being in a lifestyle of promiscuity, of getting an STD or an unwanted pregnancy. Did you know all the social scientists agree with what God said, that children raised without a father have exponentially higher probabilities of 
of being diagnosed with clinical depression or one day living in incarceration or perhaps even a life of addiction. You see, that's what we see happening in our generation. Now, don't misunderstand. All of our single moms, and I know Father's Day is hard on a lot of single moms because you think, well, is there any hope for my children without a father? I want to remind you of something, that mothers have an exponential, unbelievable influence on children. And there are stories that abound of children that have been raised by single moms. And because they had a godly mother, they true grew up to know and love God. I don't want to minimize the role of mom. But did you know that every time God addresses the family in Scripture, he always addresses not the mothers but the fathers? You know why? Because God lays at the feet of fathers the responsibility for the health of their families, not the mothers. He says, Dad, I'm looking at you. And Dad, I'm holding you responsible personally. It's not that mothers don't have an incredible role to play too, but he's saying, ultimately, I'm laying the responsibility for the family at the feet of Daddy. You see, this is what we're learning. We need a revival of biblical fatherhood in America. You see, we need a revival of biblical fatherhood. We need a revival of God-inspired manhood. We need to bring back some God-inspired manhood to America. And ultimately, what happens is, as the father goes, so goes the family, and the family is the fabric of society, and all of a sudden, we've got a healthy society because it's a society of healthy families. You can begin to see why God puts such an emphasis on fathers and fatherhood. You see, fathers are charged specifically with being their kid's spiritual coach and making their home a spiritual gymnasium. Now, when God addresses fathers in Scripture, guess what? He looks at a dad and says, you're the family pastor. But most of us aren't really comfortable being, you know, like a pastor, like, you know, I'm a computer programmer or, you know, I'm an engineer. I mean, I'm not a pastor. But yet that's exactly what God says. When it comes to your little flock of two or three or four or five children, however many you have, you've got this little flock. He considers you their shepherd that makes you their pastor. Just look at yourself as a coach. You're a spiritual coach. With that same energy, that same attention, that same intention that you would train your son in the backyard to shoot a basketball or throw a football or that daughter of yours to kick a soccer ball. My dad was my first ever coach. All right, so I'm eight years old and my introduction into organized sports was t-ball. And my dad got out a bathroom plunger and he found some piping and he put the piping over the plunger. That was my first tee. A super dad. And uh, he would take me in the backyard and later on the park, because I was hitting over the fence in the backyard, so he took me up to the park, and uh, he would teach me how to hit. He was my first coach. And then later, I graduated from t-ball, and he'd throw me batting practice. And then later on, when I would start pitching, uh, he was my pitching coach, and he would catch, and I would pitch. And I'm telling you guys, uh, when I was a little kid, I was like two feet taller than all the other kids. It was like a man with boys, Seriously. And when I pitched, I mean, I could bring the heat. Nobody had any chance of even sniffing a hit when I was pitching. Now, the problem is, when the ball left my hand, nobody knew for sure what was going to happen next. <laughs> they called me wild thing, okay? Because I might strike out three batters in a row, and then I might bean the next three batters in a row. I mean, they were scared when I was pitching, right? So I'd be in the backyard, my dad would get home from work, he got up at 5.45 every morning, and I know now looking back, he was exhausted. I don't know how he did it, but he wanted me to succeed. And so he was my pitching coach, he'd crouch down there, remember I'm a wild thing, like, and he'd be like, 
go get it and come back. Go get it again, come back. Hey, he did that over and over again. Why? Because he wanted me to succeed at what I wanted to succeed in. He was my first ever coach in baseball. Oh, he was my first coach in football. I mean, he's the one that taught me a lot about football when he never even played football. I don't know how he knew so much about football. He obviously studied things so that he could impart those things. I want you to see, in that very same way, every dad here does that. Every dad here wants to help their children succeed in their hobby, in soccer, in baseball, in football with that same intention, with that same attention. He's saying, listen, I want you to help them succeed spiritually. I want you to coach your family in the things that matter most for eternity. He says in Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You see, in the same way, you're gonna train your children in whatever area it is they might be playing, the baseball, soccer, football, whatever it is, you're to train them spiritually. You're to be their number one coach. And in some capacity, you're to instruct them, that word admonition, to teach them. And ultimately, we know that the home is what affects the heart far more than the church. And that's why we said last week, the church is where kids learn the knowledge of God, but it's in the home where they develop a heart for God. Hey guys, I'm convinced the heart is the heart of the issue. Remember what Jesus said when he looked at the unbelieving Pharisees? He said, oh, slow of heart to believe. You see, the problem is never with the knowledge. The problem is always with the heart. And what the best the church can do with the three hours a month that we have with your children is we can affect the knowledge of God, but we cannot lead them to know God and have a heart for God because it's in the home that develops the heart, and the heart is always the heart of the issue. You see, the reality is a pastor can affect the head, but only a parent can deeply affect the human heart. And that is why I've announced recently we're going to be doing a brand new ministry, brand new model of ministry called the Abundant Life family ministry. Now, the traditional model is you bring your kids here, and we will disciple them, and we will teach them, and we'll do it once on Sunday morning, and then you bring them back sometime midweek, usually Wednesday night, and we'll teach them again on Wednesday night. That's the traditional model of how churches like ours try to develop and disciple children spiritually. Now, it's not a bad model. There's a lot of successes with that model, been used for years and years and years, but I wonder how much more successful the church could have been if we put as much energy and time and intention into ministering not just to kids, but ministering to their parents. And that's what this Abundant Life ministry is, is to leverage the number one person in their life, and it's their mama and their daddy. You see, a pastor cannot affect the heart like you possibly can, and the heart is always the heart of the issue. You see, so many kids that have been raised in church end up walking away from God. You know why? It was not for a lack of the knowledge of God. It was a lack for a heart for God. You see, they learn to have the knowledge of God, but knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. And if they don't learn to know God, they will never have a heart for God. And we're simply convinced that a better opportunity to disciple children spiritually has got to be in the home. So if you sign up for this new ministry, what that means is a grandma or a grandpa, or perhaps a mother or a father, is you're gonna have access every single week to a curriculum which our children and families pastors will publish every single week and it will correspond to what they're learning back there right now on a Sunday morning. 
And while they're learning about God back there on Sunday morning, all of a sudden you're going to, in the middle of the week, sometime during family time or during your group time, you're going to drill down into the heart. You're going to take that thing they've learned and apply it now to their heart where you're going to have access to a curriculum. You're going to have access to a fun discussion. You're going to have access to uh, video YouTube where kids are getting information now on kids YouTube and our kids and family pastors going to make a different video lesson every single week that you can download where you are, when you want, when is convenient for your family. Here's the reality. Americans are busier than ever. Some of you drive farther than ever. We can do better if we no longer tell you, you got to come here on a Wednesday night. If we let you do it out there, I'm going to tell you, I'm convinced that we're going to raise up children to know and love God in a brand new way because we are going to leverage parents to do what only parents can do. I'm talking about you. And that's the Abundant Life Family Ministry. We're not taking Wednesday from you. We're giving it back to you. We want you to have quality family time with your children. And that means having one faith talk a week, minimum, at least one. And we're going to help you do that. Now, what does this mean? It means for fathers on Father's Day. Understand something. A father gives his children a heart for God by connecting his own heart to the heart of his children. That's the goal. You see, it's never simply about what they know. And so much of the time when we talk about raising children to know and love Jesus, it's just academic. We just want them to know the right answers. And we think we've accomplished something if they know about God and they know about the Word of God. But it's always about the heart. The heart is the control center of the human being. And so it's learning as a father, as the family coach or the shepherd, to shepherd their heart. And so the good news is, as dads, we already have a heart connection with our children. You know what Proverbs 17, verse 6 says? It says that children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of the child is the father. You know what that means? It means to a dad and his children, listen, you're already a superhuman. I walked in early this morning. I saw all these superheroes all around our you know, facility today. And you realize, understand something. To a child, you are Superman. To a child, you're already a superhero. The glory of the child is the father. That means he naturally, she naturally idolizes you already. She naturally already sees you as superhuman. Now here's the deal. You already have a heart connection with them. But if you don't use it, you will one day lose it. If you don't learn to leverage it, and so the goal, honestly, is to take this invisible pipeline, and every dad has an invisible pipeline from your heart into the heart of your children. Every dad does, whether you know it or not, because the glory of the child is the father. And you have this invisible pipe hanging out of your heart into the heart of your children. And I'm trying to tell you today, the goal is to pour out whatever is into your heart because whatever you pour out of your heart will come to define their heart. And as you pour out what's in your heart, it will start to fill up their heart. If you have a heart for God as a father, you will naturally pour that God heart into the heart of your sons and daughter. But whatever you pour out of this pipeline, I'm gonna tell you one day, it will fill up your children's heart because it was first in yours. And so the goal, honestly, is to pour out your heart in some way that they begin to embrace the heart of God because they are fully embraced and connected to the heart of their father. It's been years and years ago now. Had a conversation with a, with a dad in our church. Now, he has long since moved away. This family moved away years ago, moved about three states away. And I tell you that because if you ever tell me something, I don't want you to worry about becoming a sermon illustration. 
I promise if you tell me something, you will not become a sermon illustration unless you move three states away. <laughs> then I don't guarantee a thing. I, I wouldn't tell you this if they were sitting here today. I was, I'm just telling you I wouldn't do that. But this father was lamenting. Pastor Phil, I don't know what to do. My son no longer cares about God. He won't come to church with us. He doesn't care anything about God. He's walked away from the faith. I'm not sure he even still believes in God. And, and I was very gentle in this conversation. Very careful, very gentle how I said it. He says, I don't know what happened, but I knew what happened. See, I knew this family well. They got into the competitive baseball circuit, the competitive baseball scene, which we did too. Not against sports, not against any of that. I played at a high level. I love sports, believe in sports. Lots of things kids can learn from sports if you keep it in its proper place. But he didn't do that. This is a family, got on multiple teams, playing on multiple teams at the same time, going to this city, going to this city, here this weekend, gone this weekend. They were literally out of church weeks and months at a time. Then his son grew up and indeed got a baseball scholarship. That was the goal. And while he was in college, he lost his heart for God. No, he didn't lose his heart for God in college. He lost it long before. You see, his son simply learned to have the heart of the father. The father poured his heart into the heart of the son. You see, the son grew up to have a passion for what his father had a passion for. His son grew up to have a love for what his father had a love for. You see, he had that heart connection. He poured out his heart into the heart of his son, and then he wondered why my son doesn't care about God anymore, because you taught him what to love. You taught him what mattered. And all of a sudden, our children walk away from the faith. They walk away from the things that really matter instead of living for the things that last forever. And we wonder what happened. Here's the deal. As a father, you have a heart connection already with your sons and daughters. If your heart is full of God, the way you transfer to your children a heart for God is you simply pour out your heart into the heart of your sons and daughters. That's revival. When the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of the heart of the men of God, all of a sudden the men of God, get a hold of the children's hearts, and those children grow up with a heart for God. How do we do that? I want to very quickly share some ideas, share some things that we have to do, gentlemen. We need to foster, first of all, relational security. You want to leverage that invisible pipeline that you have with your children, that heart connection. You need to foster relational security. So I have three children, and they're all but grown up, almost 20, 21, 22. So it's good to have children now, honestly, at the age where we can do some debriefing. Like, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well. So I'm sitting there talking to my daughter this past week. I said, honey, tell me. I mean, practically, how does a father connect his heart to his children? You know what she said? Security. She said, dad, my heart was connected to yours. All those times you would tell me I was beautiful. All those times you'd tell me I was special. Because every little girl, honestly, is full of insecurity in this virtual reality society of Facebook and comparisons and social media. And, 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 and for a dad, listen, for a dad, listen, whether you know it or not, you're not just the pastor, you're a prophet. And your words are powerful. And your children believe what come out of your mouth. And the words that you say, that truth spoken to them and that truth spoken over them, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
if you tell a kid you're nothing, you'll never be anything, you'll never amount to anything, that's exactly what he will amount to. That's exactly what he will become. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say things like, you should be ashamed of yourself. I can't believe you, you ought to be ashamed. Listen carefully, shame drives children into secrecy. You see, shame makes them live a life of secrecy instead of relational transparency. You see, shame and negativity is never a great way to inspire people to do good. We think it is, but it's not. Now listen, that doesn't mean you don't correct them. That doesn't mean you don't discipline when they've done wrong. Listen, God gave them a heart for a reason. He also gave them a bottom. Some of us need to use it a little more than we are because the bottom affects the heart. It does, trust me. I should know. And what I'm trying to say is it's not that you, 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 you just let them, you, you set boundaries for them and they need to know there's consequences when you get outside the lines. If they don't take you seriously, they will never take God their Father seriously. If they don't learn to walk before you obediently, they will never learn to walk before God obediently and they will never live life abundantly. They'll always live in captivity. Which would you like them to live? But you see, what happens in relational security is you love them unconditionally in this performance-based society. Little girls long to know they're beautiful, they're special. That's in the heart of every little girl. Little boys long to know they are strong and they are powerful. And you speak that into their life. And there's just watershed moments that I can think of along the way in the life of my own children. So... Uh, years ago, my son, who's almost 20 now, he's maybe nine, maybe 10, somewhere in there, maybe only eight, I'm not sure, the years kind of blur, but we were in that competitive baseball thing, and, and uh, he was just honestly having an awful year, horrible year. Like, I would throw him batting practice, and he'd crack line drives, and I'd throw him batting practice, and he'd crack line drives, and we'd get to the game, and it's like, <laughs> three strikes, you're out. I mean, he's like the strikeout king. He's dying. And listen, when your kids are dying, you're dying. I mean, I was dying. This was painful every single game. It was horrible. Because he was dying, and I'm telling you, I was dying. Have you ever been there watching your kids in a game or something? And uh, you know what? You, you never have a prayer meeting like watching your boy go up to bat. You know? Like, God, please, please, please let him get a hit. Please. I'm begging you, let him get a hit. I just wanted him to get a hit so bad. I mean, I'd be praying, please, God, please, 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 make the ball get in the way of the bat, please. Because <laughs> he was dying. It was so hard, so horrible. It was. It's hard to watch your children hurting. You're, they're hurting, you're hurting. And I remember something, it was a, kind of a watershed moment, it began to change everything. Those moments that you don't think really matter, how deeply they matter. What Greg shared he was bullied as a little boy, had a long-standing effect on his heart, didn't it? He had nobody there to walk with him and shepherd that heart inside of him. Took him years to get there. Well, I knew this is more than baseball. This is life. I mean, this is, this is his identity, and that's what happens. They're shaping their identity. And I took him aside in between games. I said, Josh, listen. I don't care next time you get up to bat, if you strike out or hit a home run, I am proud of you no matter what. It doesn't matter what you do, I am proud of you. 
and nothing can ever change how I feel about you, but I'm telling you, you got it in you. You have what it takes, and if nobody else believes, I believe. And I said that to him, I'm not making this up. The very next time at bat, he cracked a line drive, ground rule double, like bounced once over the fence. And you can say, oh, Phil, that's just accidental, that's just random luck. Maybe, but on the other hand, maybe not. You see, he would grow up to become, honestly, a great baseball player, but it was more about baseball. It's about life. You see, you give them confidence and that relational security. You are shaping, ultimately, their identity of who they become. And that's why they need to have that sense of, I am loved unconditionally. He's proud of me unconditionally. He's never going to shame me. He's never going to humiliate me. Jake, who I married off a couple of months ago, crucial, pivotal moment. I come home one day. He's in the seventh grade and my wife confronts me because she's found on my computer somebody's looking up pictures of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders <laughs> and Taylor Swift <laughs> with her clothes on and as you can imagine this was not a happy day in the Hopper household baby I'm serious I have no idea no that's not mine no I haven't been looking at that and I, I said these words, that's middle school stuff. Middle school. Jake! <laughs> sure enough, it was Jake. That was a pivotal moment. I could have shamed him. Son, I am so ashamed of you. And that would have drove him into secrecy. And we would have never talked about it again. Or on the other hand, I could say, son, I want you to know what you're going through, I went through every single one of us go through. And all I want you to know is what this can do to you. This is leading to deeper and deeper issues with pornography, and pornography means captivity, and it's gonna be slavery. And son, listen, you never have to lie to me. I will never shame you about what you're going through. I went through the very same thing. You see that security is what fostered then the transparency that we could talk about anything because they knew I wouldn't humiliate him. They knew that I wouldn't shame them. And all of a sudden, I want to help navigate them through the minefields of the teenage years and the minefield of this, this sexualized society in which we live. We need to foster security. But guys, we need a strategy. Raising kids to know and love Jesus doesn't happen accidentally. It happens intentionally. It happens only if you have a strategy. And so I began reading some things when they were about fourth, fifth, sixth grade, very formative book in terms of my own parenting in life, Dr. Robert Lewis, Raising a Modern Day Night. Tim Kimmel had another one. It's called Why Some Christian Kids Rebel. Family Life Today, you ought to go online, order this. It's a brand new series on parenting called uh, like arrows. So I don't care where, but start trying to formulate a strategy. You need to know exactly what it is you're trying to accomplish in their life. It's not going to happen just randomly. And so I stumbled on this definition of a real man. A real man rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously and expects the greater reward, God's reward. That became a part of our language in our household. If they were maybe blown off homework, I'd say, son, you need to get up. You need to accept responsibility. 
they reject passivity. If they didn't do a chore I told them to do two hours later, I'd say, hey guys, listen, you're not leading courageously. Yeah, I know everybody else is going that direction. Sometimes a leader has to stand alone. So it became part of the language of our house. What are the character qualities? Yes, they need the right theology, but that part is easy. It's right here they get that, but it's right here that they begin to have the godly character qualities. And I identified what is it I want my children to be? People of humility and tenacity and serving others sacrificially and integrity. That became part of our household language. I want you to see it doesn't happen just in your house. It's going to require other people's house. Now, why are we still doing fusion the way we're doing fusion? I'll tell you why. Because there comes a point, mom and dad's voice is not enough. You need other voices in their life. And I'm so thankful for Josh having a phenomenal fusion group, quite frankly, and Bill Wilson being his fusion group leader and these other boys that he grew up with. And I could trust Bill to say most of the same things I'd be saying. There's another voice. I'm so thankful for the Ward family that my kids grew up with. And Billy and Andy, to this day, are still great friends of my two sons. Now those little boys have grown up. They're young adult men. I'm so thankful for the LaRues that Josh spent more time time at their house at times than on my house. I'm so thankful for the Evers. And uh, today, Trent and Ty are still great friends with my two sons. We raised them together. That was part of the strategy. And at pivotal moments, I would write them letters. That letter you heard me reciting, that was a real letter. I wrote it to Jake, Father's Day weekend, 2008. Life of honor, integrity, and tenacity. I will seek to be Christ-like in my servanthood and sacrifice for others. And I promise to follow my father's guidance and wise counsel as he prepares me to be a man. The sword pretty much is a sign that um, I am to not give in and not give up. And even when it's what it's easier to go away and you wouldn't even get caught for anything, um, that you stay and fight and it's a sign of the warrior part of you. Lord, this I pray for Jake, that he would become a courageous, godly, fearless man for you, that you would prosper him, and that your hand would be upon him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's hear it for Jake. <laughs> I mean, we had a group before we called them at Abundant Life Groups. I found some other men, some other families, and said, this is our community. Let's do this together. The father-son float trips with the Evers. Spending time with the wards. And that's why we're so serious now about these groups, because it can't be done solo, not completely. It begins with you and your family, but you need more than just you. You need community. You see, that's a key part of the strategy. Dads, we need to embody the qualities that are godly. In other words, if we want our children to grow up to be godly, we ourselves need to embody those character qualities. It can't do any good for me to say, I want children of integrity if I lack integrity. If I want children of humility, then I need to embody humility. Jake was 13. We took him out to eat. We gave him a purity ring. And we begin to cast this vision of sexual purity and saving his sexual integrity for the day he stood at the altar to give himself away. Now, as you can imagine, the sword connected more to his heart than the ring. 
I mean, he lost it over and over again. The ring, that is. But he kept everything else. He never lost what really mattered. You see, he got it. I would teach my sons, if you want to be a man of integrity, you need to guard your eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul. And, you know, if you see a, a woman with barely anything on, I'm sorry, but it's impossible for a man to look at a woman with barely anything on and not sin. It's impossible. Oh, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. So I tell you, if something come on the TV, we'd bounce our eyes. We'd be bouncing our eyes together. I'd teach them how to do it. They expected me to do it. I'd be looking at them to see what they were going to do. Guess what? They were looking at me <laughs> to see what I was going to do. You see, the number one thing that drives children to rebellion is hypocrisy. It's when we say one thing and do another. Now listen, they don't need perfection. I was not a perfect dad. And there were times I was having to make an apology. They don't need perfection. They just need authenticity. And as they've grown up, I've let them more and more into my own life. Things I used to hide from them because you fight battles for your children so they don't have to. I let them in more and more and more. You know why? Because they're more now than simply my sons. They've become my brothers. I want to let them into the heart of their father. My daughter, she's become a partner in ministry. She's a real member now of my family, not just here but now here. And you see, we need to embody exactly it is that we want them to become. We need to create family memories. Uh, when you create memories, that's part of the glue. Uh, we would go on these float trips at least once a year with Grandpa and understand as we were fishing, it wasn't about the fishing. It was about pouring my heart into the heart of my children. You see, it was about my dad, their Grandpa, pouring their heart into the heart of our children. And they didn't even know what was happening because it was happening so naturally. But when you create those memories, you're connecting on the heart level with your children in a way that now it's deeply embedded in them. And and it's built on the memories. In fact, most of all, most important of all, I'm convinced we need a faith worth following. Let me ask you as a dad, your children are watching and faith is more caught than it is taught. Do you have a faith worth following? You see, our children are asking this question, not is our faith true? They're asking the question, does our faith work? And children do not walk away from the faith. Because it can't be proven true. That's what they say. Well, I just don't think it's true. No, the reality, children raised in Christian families, raised in Christian churches that grow up and walk away from the faith, they don't walk away from the faith because it wasn't true. They walk away because they decide it must not work. And if it doesn't work, in their mind, it must not be true. What would have happened if all those years my children were listening to their daddy preach on Sunday morning and they go home Sunday night and hear their daddy cuss out their mama? You see, we need to show them our faith works. It's not just true, but our faith works. My life is different because of my faith. My life is not the same because of my faith. My faith has affected my relationship with their mother. My faith is re reflected in the, the way I navigate the stresses and trials of life. Like my faith affects every part of my life because what they're really asking is not simply, is it true? They're asking, does it work? Let me ask you, has your faith transformed 
transformed your life. If it hasn't transformed yours, it has very little chance of transforming your children. And for some of us, honestly, we need to get off the fence as dads. We need to quit straddling the line. There's this invisible river in our life. There was a real river in the days of Joshua as he challenged the men of Israel on the other side of the Jordan. They're now in the promised land. He was basically saying, listen, it is time to get all in with God because if you don't get all in, there's a day coming your children may get all out. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on this other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There comes a point as a man, we have got to decide whom will we serve. In this world of many gods, there's only one true and living God. And for some of us today, it's time to get all in with him. Because if you don't get all in with him, there's a really good chance one day your children are going to get all out. 2018, Jake, it is so hard to believe you're getting married. It seems like just yesterday you were a toddler riding your first bike. But life really is a vapor, and the older I get, the more I see the reality of the brevity of life. I'm so glad that you've decided to live your life for things that matter, that last forever, full throttle, love passionately and live fearlessly. You're a man of destiny to make an impact in time and eternity. A real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward, God's reward. Jake, I wouldn't tell you this if it were not true, but you have become a real man in every sense of the word. Nothing can ever be more fulfilling as a father but to live to see your little boy grow up to be a real man. You embody integrity, tenacity, honor, and humility. Jake, I'm so proud of you that you have proved yourself a man. You're gonna be a great husband. We are to embody the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus lives in you, and he is both lion and lamb, and that is why in your heart dwells a lion and a lamb. We're to be a warrior and a lover, and you become a great warrior, and you become a great lover, a lover of people. And I don't know if you remember, you probably do, but there was a sword I gave you when you were just in seventh grade. You turned 13, and I wanted to start casting a vision of what it means to be a man, and I engraved on that sword the definition of a real man. Say this with me, a real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects the greater reward, God's reward. And we hung that on your wall, and I was hoping it'd be a reminder of what it meant to be a man. You remember how many times I got so frustrated when you were a teenager? because you'd be picking on your brother or teasing your sister and acting selfishly instead of selflessly. And a couple of times I marched up the stairs and I took that thing off your wall because you didn't deserve the sword. And then you left home after your senior year and I don't know that we ever put that sword back on your wall and it's been our basement now for years. But Josiah's gonna bring that sword up here now because I'm convinced today You deserve the sword, son.
Remember to treat Abby like she is the most priceless and treasured person on earth. Her worth is far above rubies. Treat her like she is a rare priceless gem and she will only become more beautiful and more fruitful. I love you, son. I am more proud of you than you can imagine. You have become more than my son. You are now my brother. And may God bless you and the Lord keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Your dad. worth whatever it takes, all the tears, all the prayers. If you knew the frustrations and the exasperation to get to that destination. And gentlemen, I know about the invisible backpack you carry. I know the stress of being a father, providing for a family, the demands. You carry one and I do too. But God, our Father, wants to carry it with you. And I'd like the real superheroes of our world to stand right here. I'm talking about every dad. I'm talking about every granddad. If you would stand, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you right now. Let's do that together. God in heaven, thank you for these men. And Lord, you know the stress they carry, the weight every day. And I pray, God, your grace to finish the race. Lord, I pray divine wisdom from heaven with their every conversation, their every discussion, Lord, their every decision and everything they do, God that you guide them, that you would direct them, most of all, that you'd empower them. I pray the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Elijah would be upon these men, that you would turn the heart of the children to the fathers and the, the fathers' hearts to the children. And Lord, that we would play the man, that we would embody integrity, that we would embody tenacity, that we would embody honor and humility. Lord, that we would have hearts that are godly, that we would pour those hearts into the hearts of our sons and daughters. God, I pray for all those children back in our kids' wing. And I pray every one of them grow up to know and love you. That, Lord, all of them would walk with you all the days of their life. And that your gracious hand be with every family at Abundant Life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory today? I love you so much. God bless you. Happy Father's Day. This morning, uh, thank you for joining us this morning uh, on this Father's Day. Um, there's gonna be a team of people down here. If you need prayer, if you need somebody to come alongside you and pray for you and your family, we would love to do that. Love to see you in the story room, um, in the lobby. And then don't forget, there will be no well tonight. Uh, make sure you enjoy this Father's Day with your family. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. We'll see you next week.